Jeremy and Matt here, just uh, letting you know that we're doing something new for this episode called Cornucopia One-on-One. It's a series of interviews, less scripted and less produced, but equally informative. Long story short, we had a lot of fun making our first six episodes, but it was also extremely time-consuming. Plus, it's pedicab season here in San Francisco, and we're working the tricycle hustle to pay the bills. So we're trying to produce something a lot more quickly here, and it's a bit of an experiment, but hope you enjoy. Toodles. (laughs) (laughs) This is Cornucopia. This is Cornucopia, the culture and business of food. I'm Matt Levine. Today we're interviewing uh, Mary Mulry. Mary, you may already know from our Forest of Illusions episode. She's a 30-year veteran of the packaged foods and grocery worlds. We're going to talk about Whole Foods Amazon. Mary, good morning. We'll save the Rocky Mountain High conversation for a future one-on-one with Mary where we're going to be talking about the product development and cannabis foods. Mary's got some interesting clients in that world. But today we're going to talk about Amazon's purchase of Whole Foods. And Mary, um, one of the things that Whole Foods has been known for, in addition to being a real uh, revolutionary in the grocery world, was its uh, CEO, John Mackey, who has written a book about conscious capitalism where he discusses that there's more than the shareholder that a company needs to pay attention to. They need to pay attention to the stakeholders and stakeholders being employees, the community, the environment, and a variety of factors that go way beyond the fiduciary responsibility of a corporation. With the sale to Amazon, is it fair to say John Mackey's a hypocrite? Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say he was a hypocrite, but I think he got... Uh, caught in the sense that once he took the company public, you know, he was subject to what the stock market does to companies. And that is, while he may have a larger vision of conscious capitalism, the rest of the market may not. And uh, certainly this sale was, uh, you know, uh, promoted or at least was, was hastened, I think, by you know, an activist investor group that bought a significant share and, you know, wanted some changes made. Um, I think in retrospect, um, he might have been better off taking the company private if he wanted to not be subject to the vagaries of the market. One of the things that I previously had written about was the um, early days when Whole Foods had a very unique approach to opening new stores. Most grocers would look at a population density and use that as the criteria for stores. Whole Foods used to look at things like number of people with graduate degrees and other factors because there was a a feeling that their stores weren't for everyone, both based on socioeconomic means and also based on just a desire to seek out better for you, better for the environment and higher price foods. When Whole Foods went public and began opening stores at a really rapid rate. Was that sort of the beginning yeah, I think, of the I end? Mean, I, I think the, you know, I knew somebody who worked at Whole Foods and, and that, that algorithm of how they chose store sites was, was you know, a, a well-protected secret within the company. But um, I would say that probably the, the biggest issue 
particularly in the past, you know, six or seven quarters where they've had, you know, uh, lackluster sales and and, uh, uh, comparable store sales, has more to do with both competition and the fact that they haven't been, you know, innovating as quickly as they needed to be innovating. So while, you know, Kroger and Costco are skimming off the grocery center store products, you know, at a, at a, at a better price or, or their private label was, was better than 365, uh, you know, Whole Foods wasn't really innovating in a way that would, would bring in lots of new customers. They, they certainly tried, you know, to attract more millennials. But, um, you know, the competition in natural and organic is just staggering uh, now compared to what it was even five years ago. I mean, there's lots and lots of people trying to sell the same types of products at lower and lower prices. And uh, Whole Foods has a business model in which they, they can't, really be price competitive with other grocery chains like Trader Joe's or Costco or even Kroger. So the fact that I can buy kombucha at a 7-Eleven, that I can buy uh, pasture eggs at Costco, that I can buy Annie's mac and cheese, any supermarket online, Walmart, those were the things that eroded Whole Foods' ability to grow. But within the model not having growth and having seven quarters where sales were declining, that doesn't mean they were unprofitable, though, correct? They just were not profitable enough for the Wall Street investors. Right. I mean, the, 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 you know, Wall Street looks at certain things in the retail sector, and one of the key things they always look for is comparable sales. So they want to see your existing stores and your new stores with significant increases in sales, uh, you know, quarter over quarter, year over year. And when you start to to flatten incomparable store sales, then Wall Street starts getting nervous that you're losing customers or you're not certainly gaining customers. Um, a good example is Walgreens. If you notice that every few years Walgreens closes a store and opens one across the street, you know, that helps their comp store sales because now they have a new store and their old store drops out of their comps, you know. So there's some there's some issues around retail, but the, but certainly the stock market gets nervous when, you know, you're you're not increasing sales and profitability. But certainly Whole Foods they certainly are healthy as a company. Um, it was just that the the stock market was getting nervous. There have been a lot of reports that working for Amazon is worse than working for Walmart. Is it likely that Amazon's going to be eroding Whole Foods' approach to employee relations, or is it likely Whole Foods' approach might trickle up? Well, you know, it's hard to say. I would say, given the size of Amazon versus Whole Foods, that it's more likely that Amazon's, uh, you know, practices would trickle down at least somewhat. Um, I do think that based on, you know, some other companies that Amazon has purchased, uh, they haven't been as hands-on as, um, you know, they could be. So, for example, with the Washington Post and some other companies that they purchased, they have not necessarily become heavy-handed as, a, as the parent company. Um, so I think it remains to be seen. But certainly uh, there there's a huge difference between a warehouse employee at um, – Amazon and let's say a, a, a cashier or, or even a, someone that works on the floor at Whole Foods in the sense that, you know, they're far more public. You know, some of the competition in grocery like Costco and Traders does a much better job 
of taking care of employees than the industry average, and and Whole Foods has, has certainly been in that group. Can you talk a little bit about Whole Foods standards and how they may or may not change in the face of the acquisition by Amazon? Standards really refer to uh, what products a, a company, a, you know, retailer is willing to put in their stores. Um, you know, they have what I call kind of the basic natural and organic standards, which are, you know, no artificial colors, flavorings, preservatives, or sweeteners. Um, Whole Foods had a, had a difficult time um, as a regional company in implementing some of their standards because the standards were developed at, at corporate, but they decentralized regional strategy up until recently. And so it was difficult to get the regions to adhere to those standards. So while Whole Foods had fairly high standards, you'd sometimes go into stores and find product that that didn't meet those standards, which was kind of a problem. Um, The other thing is, is that as they tried to compete with you know, more of the conventional grocery stores, um, the, some of the standards, which are sort of category-based, and I'll use coffee as an example, um, in that the less expensive types of coffee, um, you know, similar to a conventional grocery store, there's two types of coffee. Um, there's uh, Arabica, which is the higher standard, and, and Robusta, which is a lower-quality coffee. And you would never see in the past, you know, 10 years ago, you wouldn't see in that natural foods, anyone selling uh, Robusta coffee. But as Whole Foods was trying to compete with Trader Joe's and some others on price, um, they started to bring in what I would call lower and quality Mary, products. I'm going to interrupt um, for a second. So Robusta and Arabica, those are types of beans? Yes, they're, they're varieties of coffee. And so your, your Arabica are typically grown in the, I'll call them traditional coffee growing regions that you think of, Mexico, Central America, you know, Africa, et cetera. But then there was a lot of Robusta coffee grown in Vietnam and some other places, uh, which, you know, drove down coffee prices and made it difficult for coffee farmers to stay in business. And so when I was at other retailers, we wouldn't sell uh, Robusta coffee. You know, that's that's just one example. But as you try to compete and, and you, you sort, it's sort of a race to the bottom, you know, because in order to get the pricing, you you have to you know you're competing with Trader Joe's or Costco which have lower profit margin needs then the only way that you can get an equivalent price or close is by reducing quality and you saw that in some of their private label and in some of their coffee and things like that overall whole foods has been a leader and a loud voice in terms of you know promoting their standards and uh, in general you know compared to to most places that you would shop or even most other chains um, they're far higher standards than, say, a Sprouts or a Lucky's or something like that. For those that haven't listened to the history of the supermarket, episode one of Cornucopia, it uh, really explains both the constant kind of upheaval in American retail going back to the 19th century, big fish swallowing the, swallowing the smaller fish. And one of the things that... I'm not sure people fully understand as a store like Trader Joe's or Costco or Walmart, they're receiving their products directly from the manufacturer. They're selling at such volume that they're buying truckloads. And when we say private label, that means products that would say Trader Joe's on it or say Whole Foods every day, 365. <clears throat> so within the need to be competitive and the development of private label products, um, that is 
exactly the type of marketplace an online retailer will thrive. Is that correct? Yes. Um, I think the look, you know, most retailers in the industry go through, you know, a distributor like United Natural Foods or, or Kahi, you know, another middleman to the process. Um, whereas when you're an Amazon and you're shipping, receiving and shipping directly, um, you know, you can, um, you, you bypass that whole area. And of course, you can have a lower price, retail price. As a and just in case it wasn't clear, so if an item, if Whole Foods is buying an item from their distributor for a dollar a unit, let's say Annie's Mac and Cheese, or Costco or Amazon is buying Annie's Mac and Cheese directly from Annie's parent company, General Mills, they may be only paying 65 cents a unit. So by bypassing the middleman, those savings are huge. Um, and that's kind of one of the things that um, when we did the history of the supermarket episode, uh, there was some data we saw from the Oliver Wyman Consulting Group that predicted by 2025, one quarter, 25% of all brick-and-mortar supermarkets were likely to close. What do you see as the future of brick-and-mortar in the face of online, and how does that change with Amazon's recent acquisition? Well, I think I think you're right. There will be some stores closing. I, I think grocery, because it's a unique uh, category and that there's so much product that's fresh and perishable, it's going to be a challenge for even Amazon to get product, um, you know, to the customer via, you know, an online or a, a, a um, UPS FedEx kind of strategy. Um, you know, the, the CEO of, of UNFI has, you know, said, you know, distribution by truck to, you know, retail stores is a very different model than what Amazon uses, which is distribution in boxes to consumers. So I think, you know, it remains to be seen how quickly, you know, we're going to see changes in people's shopping habits. I think the, the, uh, the customer has been um, slow to adopt online or even, um, you know, pick pick up at the store kind of ordering. I mean, it's been growing, but not at the rate that a lot of the analysts had predicted. And I think it's because people do like to smell and touch and, you know, choose their own, particularly produce and perishables. You know, they're less concerned about, you know, if it's a box of cereal, that's the same thing in every store. But um, the, the perishables part is, is really tricky. And, you know, there's been a litter uh, you know, the road's littered with companies that have gone out of business trying to d either deliver to the customer or go through, you know, uh, some sort of a, a strategy where the customer picks up the, the groceries already packed up, you know. So I think there will be some changes for sure because there will be customers that move to online ordering and shopping, and Amazon can use Whole Foods stores as a way to uh, be a delivery system you know, that's, that's close by. They always talk about the last mile, you know, how does, how does Amazon with their warehouses get perishable, you know, foods to people quickly. And uh, so I, I think, you know, the, the, the big advantage though, is that Amazon has data, big data and, uh, and IT capabilities that are beyond, you know, probably 10 times beyond anything that, that we see in, the natural and organic industry. And if you look at some of the analysts, they were very concerned about um, Whole Foods, you know, data systems, 
not talking to each other, the distributor systems not talking to, you know, whole food systems, very, very clunky, uh, uh, you know, software systems. And I think Amazon can cut through a lot of that because they're, you know, they live and die on data and on, uh, on you know, knowing, you know, where things are in the supply chain at all times. I mean, to have so many people signed up with Prime, and I think I read that 42% of the population orders from Amazon. And, you know, rarely do you have a problem with a two-day delivery from Amazon, and, and that's that's no small feat considering the number of packages they ship. Let's talk about data for a second and how that's likely to impact another key thing that Whole Foods was way ahead of the curve on, fostering local food manufacturers, local food vendors in the uh, – advent of Amazon's acquisition, and they're looking at data to see where the trends are. Where does the that element of both ultra-premium products, locally sourced products, those things that make going into Whole Foods more interesting than, let's say, going to a Safeway or a Walmart, is that likely to disappear? Well, I think, you know, having having the choice between selling in a Whole Foods or possibly selling on Amazon um, has some advantages. I mean, Amazon has created a lot of brands as well. Just just with online sales, people have bypassed uh, the retail for a lot of the reasons we just discussed. You know, the distrib- the distributor piece and and how difficult it is to get into stores and that sort of thing. I do think that um, the data piece is will be important and that for Whole Foods to continue to remain competitive, they have to carry, in my mind, they have to carry some great local brands and they have to help build uh, brands. If you look at the, the trajectory of natural and organic, um, it's it's interesting because you'll see uh, companies that, uh, you know, they start out pretty small, they start out in a few stores, and then if they do hit, then they become large and they go into the conventional market. In order for natural foods to continue to compete, you know, they have to bring in new brands. So they have to find, you know, sort of the next hit. Um, because, you know, once something becomes mainstream, it's it's hard to compete. Um, natural and organic just having those mainstream products. So you you will see uh, companies go out and seek local companies to support. And Whole Foods has been very strong in giving loans to small companies, small growing companies. And I think the combination of Whole Foods and Amazon could actually make the whole local idea uh, much, much more, um, you know, powerful. Or on the other hand, if you go with you know, sort of competing with, you know, Walmart or Target or, or that sort of thing, um, which, you know, I've heard that they're going to bring back some of the brands. Whole Foods is going to bring back some of the brands that they they actually remove from the stores like Chobani and, and White Wave um, in order to, you know, again, compete with those bigger supermarkets. So it's a balancing act that, you know, it could go either way. I've I've often thought that companies should really focus on what they're great at, um, but they seem to focus on the behemoth stores like Walmart and Target as, uh, you know, they want to be like them as opposed to, um, you know, creating a more unique shopping environment. Um, I do think Whole Foods can teach Amazon about the shopping experience, 
which is one of Whole Foods' biggest competitive advantages. It's a, it's a much more pleasant store to shop uh, as a whole, and that's been one of their, one of their key uh, focuses. Uh, besides locating the stores in the right place, they make those stores much more interesting to shop. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, additionally, they're uh, always been remarkable for going into store footprints that don't fit that rectangular square most supermarkets wanted, where they could just bring in their shelf sets and their schematics into this big rectangular box. Whole Foods has been extremely innovative. Not only are they innovative in going into very interesting and odd-shaped uh, retail spaces, their success wasn't always something that was guaranteed when they opened their first store in Manhattan and Chelsea. There were a lot of analysts that thought they couldn't survive there. What actually happened was Whole Foods transformed the grocery landscape in all of New York City. You know, within that innovation around developing stores in very really dynamic ways. There's a little expression an old sales manager of mine used to use in the 90s, the retail hand job. When you walk into Whole Foods, you see the beautiful flowers, stacks of berries. Um, it, it's a far different experience than most retailers. A lot of them have tried to catch up. That Safeway even tore down a store in one of the wealthiest towns in all of Northern California, Mill Valley. You know, they tore that store down to the ground to try and capture some of that dynamic store experience that um, Whole Foods uh, developed uh, seemingly as part of its uh, retail DNA. One last question about going back to John Mackey, the CEO. For those people that have followed Mackey's career and those people who know about Jeff Bezos, the Amazon CEO, can you think of an odder couple? Uh, cur currently, uh, Mackey's uh, going to be staying on, but a lot of analysts I know think that's not likely to last past six months. What's your thought? Um, I, I, I'm kind of in that camp six months to a year. Um, I, I don't see John Mackey working for anyone else uh, for very long, uh, number one. But also I think Amazon and he will come to an agreement that, you know, they can, they can take this forward. They don't necessarily need him anymore as, you know, as the, as the, the face of Whole Foods. Um, and I think there's there's pros and cons to that, certainly. Uh, but that's been the history in natural foods as people, many of the CEOs who have sold that continue to work um, with the company think that they can change the bigger company and they may stay on to try to do that. But the history tells you that that doesn't that doesn't happen uh, very often, that they stay they stay with the parent company. You know, I, it's it's difficult. Uh, the cultures are very different, and and also the the uh, you know the needs of the parent company are different. One thing that I haven't noticed uh, in the reporting was John Mackey, who'd been receiving a one dollar a year salary and no additional stock options for the last few years. What his worth is going to be? I know he's been estimated to be worth about a hundred million. And I don't know. You know, he had a significant amount of stock and, you know, there was a 27% or so premium, um, you know, paid if this deal closes the way we think it will. So that's, you know, that's a pretty good payoff. Um, I, I don't know if there were, if there were other, uh, you know, other payoffs. Uh, he may end up um, 
you know, they they may end up asking him to take a salary. I, I don't know, um, but but um, yeah, it's 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 interesting because while John Mackey, you know, vilified the the stock market for being greedy bastards in a Texas Monthly article, he doesn't have that motivation of, for money as much as as a lot of CEOs. But he definitely has motivation for building his his ego and his legacy. And so I, I do think that he's going to want to leave there with, you know, with a significant, uh, you know, legacy coming out of Whole Foods if, if he does leave. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, there's something to be said for the legacy that they already have created, notwithstanding that their commitment to conscious capitalism can be viewed uh, as half full or half empty, particularly given Mackey's rather um, disagreeable views on labor unions and his comments on Obamacare. Whole Foods has really been remarkably different than most corporations in an era where fiduciary responsibility allows them to have carte blanche to do anything and everything, regardless of its impact on workers and the communities they operate in as long as it benefits the bottom line. But let's end with Mackey's quote in Texas Monthly. These people, they just want to sell Whole Foods Market and make hundreds of millions of dollars. And they have to know that I'm going to resist that. That's my baby. I'm going to protect my kid. And they've got to knock daddy out if they want to take it over. Thanks for listening. Cornucopia, the cult, culture, and business of food. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Our website's cornucopia.show. Special thanks to Mary Mulry. She'll be back soon. As I think of giving up a voice inside my coffee cup, kept crying out, ringing in my ears. Don't cry, daddy. Back again, oh, Daddy, please don't cry.